You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. This morning on my way here, on the train, I know, I started last week's sermon with me on the train, and I know you guys are like, oh, this again? How unoriginal. I have the mic now, so you guys can just chill. Um, it's my turn to talk. But anyways, uh, on Wednesday... I met with young adults for lawn bowling, which, by the way, I'm a gun at, and is all the rage these days, right? I'm a gun. And I left my phone in someone's car, and so I've gone the last few days without a phone, which is amazing. Praise the Lord for that. And so on the train, I'm sitting there without a phone, which, um, I don't know why, but in my mind, it's like, I feel like someone's going to come up and talk to me. And for an introvert like me, that's like hell on earth, right? Like, you're on a... You're on a train, just available for people to talk to you. Heck no. Um, And so I, I, yeah, I get on the bus, I get on the train, and I just grab the nearest thing to pretend to read, pretend to be occupied. Um, And it was a newspaper. And so after skipping through all the tennis stuff, which I don't, I don't dig, I think lawn bowling is much more exciting. And so I started reading the... um, these the, the advertisements in between them, which I think is just great um, in comparison to tennis. And there was one big one on the fr- right on the front page that had... Um, it was a picture of a beach, right? And, of course, there's this gorgeous couple on it. They're smiling. They're drinking cocktails. The guy, that, the guy has six-pack abs that make me want to go hide in a cave. Um, and, and the caption said, complete yourself in Fiji, right? And then the one after, just underneath that was a picture of this table. And there were people sitting on it. You know, they're all models for some reason. They're all beautiful, probably Swedish or something, eating a beautiful meal on a beautiful day. And it was a, an ad for a tablecloth, right? Like, like that has something to do with beauty and, and happiness. But while, while I was sitting there, I couldn't help but feel like, these people had something I didn't have, not just that tablecloth, right? They look like they're loving their life. They look like they're just full of joy, full of happiness. You know, what do I need to do to be like that, to be like these people in these pictures? What do I need to buy? Where do I need to be to be like this? And the truth is that I'm probably not alone in this. I don't know if you guys feel this. Maybe I am alone on this. But I don't know, but the, the, the world around us, the society around us just, just becomes so discontented, right? So joyless. The economy is pressuring people to work and to consume and to consume, which just leaves us chasing after the wind, right? Trying to catch that joy that um, consuming promises us. And I don't want to sound like that crazy conspiracy guy that, I don't know, I, I watch at 3 a.m. in the morning when I have nothing else to say to do, but advertisers, like the media and stuff, they, they know that you long for this contentment, and what's funny is that they, they're going to sell it to you, right? They sell you promises of joy and contentment. You won't be happy unless you're in Fiji, or you won't be happy unless you drive this car, or your kids go to this school, or you've got this organic linen tablecloth to eat on with your beautiful friends, right? And of course, we, we all fall into these from time to time. 
And sometimes it brings us joy for a moment. Other times we just miss it and then it's gone. And we're just left exhausting ourselves, jumping from fleeting joy to fleeting joy, you know, oftentimes leaving us just joyless in the midst of it all. And these joys might be different for all of us, um, for, but for me personally, it's been food, right? It's, and, it, and it's a pretty common one. It might sound funny, but so many times I've driven myself just to have no money, jumping from brunch to brunch, avocado to avocado, right, looking for that joy, only to be yet unhappy at the end of the week, having gained nothing but a few kilos. And these things don't satisfy us because they weren't designed to satisfy us. Right, they weren't designed to fill that, that, that joylessness. Instead of searching for these things to fill us with joy, our hearts were designed to search for God, right, who alone can give us this joy, promises us rest for our restless heart. And so the psalm um, Jimmy read for us this morning that wasn't on the screen, uh, the Israelites at the time that psalm was written were a joyless people, right? They were discontent people. This was probably written just after they came back from exile, so from Babylon. And all that time, they've been dreaming of Jerusalem, right? They, they just want to go home. And then they get home, and then they realize it's not how they left it, right? Everything's destroyed. They've got no money. And they're returning to their temples and their hills and rivers, it just doesn't look the same. And so knowing that only God could give them joy, the psalmist cries out to God. And, right, and that's what this psalm is. It's a crying out to God. And it's in this desperate state that these Jews must be feeling that, that we read, read these words. Right? The psalm opens this song by calling God to remember. In verses 1 to 3, he says, Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave your people's guilt. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your fury you turned from your burning anger. And some commentaries I've been reading liken this to like, they call it a tugging on the sleeve psalm. Do you guys get that idea? Like reminding him of what he's done, his character. Kind of like when kids want something from you, then suddenly they remember everything, everything you've ever said and done. And they just remind you of it. That's what, and that's, that's what the psalmist is doing, right? Remember God. Remember that time when you took us out of Egypt? Do you remember that? You were so cool back then. That amazing, you know, what you did through Moses and Abraham, that was crazy, right? You were so gracious to us. You, you were so favorable to us. Remember how nice you were, you know, just tugging at God's sleeve. And it sounds pretty strange, right, this idea of people reminding God, the things that he's done or his promises. Like God has forgotten something, right? Because of course God knows everything that he's done and everything anyone else has said or done. But the truth is the act of recalling the works and promises of God don't actually serve to remind God of them, but it's more for our sake, right? When the Israelites sang this out loud, in that moment of sadness, in that moment of grief, they're not trying to wake up God or they're not trying to, you know, get God's attention. They're reminding themselves of what God has done for them. They're reminding themselves just how mighty their God is. And that's why he starts it that way. 
And to this mighty God, the, Jerusalem, the, the Jews keep singing, and they say in verse 4, this is their request, return to us, God of our salvation, and abandon your displeasure with us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger for all generations? At this point, the Israelites have found themselves without God. I mentioned last week that the temple in Jerusalem was like the center of Jewish life. God's manifest presence was there, and now it wasn't. And, and the Jews are calling for him to return, and not only to return. Um, verse 6, he says, Will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? You know, in their despair, the Israelites are crying out to God to revive them for his presence, right, to be with them once again. And why? Why do they ask this? So that they might rejoice in God, so they might find their true joy. Spurgeon says, A genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as a spring without flowers or a day, without, a, a day dawn without light. In other words, true revival, to be filled with God's spirit, his presence, always produces joy. Joy in the Lord. You cannot have revival without joy. And that's not to say that revivals are always happy times and everyone's always cheerful. Sometimes there will be that in revivals. Sometimes there will be great trials, great sacrifice, but there will always be joy. God promises us that. And this is the only abiding joy, the only lasting joy. Right? And why is that? Because God, God is abiding. God is everlasting. Because of who God is, who the God is that these Jews are calling to, that is why joy can never be found in anything God can give us. You know, the numerous blessings that we have every day. That's why nothing can satisfy us though they may be beautiful creations that God has made. Because true joy that God promises is rooted, rooted in the very character of God, in who he is. And appealing to this character, the psalmist sings in verse 7, he keeps going, he says, Show us your faithful love, Lord, and give us your salvation. Right? The, the, these singers have known God's steadfast love, And from this love, they want to see more of it. Because this love that God has for them is not just the source of their joy, but it's the hope in the promise of it. It's their only confidence in it. Amidst all their trials, their discontentment, their joylessness, the only hope of joy they have is in the character of God, in his very nature. In other words, they would be completely hopeless if God were not steadfast in his love. If God's love for us depended on our love for him, that, that would be a different story. Right? We'd be in quite the pickle. I mean, we're changing all the time. I don't even like the same music depending on what time of day it is. And it, this often transfers into our faith, right? Like we wake up and it's a headache and it's like, it's all God's fault. I want nothing to do with him. Life is hard. And then when it's easy for us, when the sun is shining, when I've got a full stomach, you know, God is so good. Isn't he amazing? All right, we're, 
when we're feeling up for it. And for the psalmist, like it should be for us, this is our confidence. We can be assured of God's love for us because he is faithfulness, right? He is changeless. Praise God that his character isn't like this weather here that we have in Melbourne, always changing. To the Jews singing this psalm, their only true hope is in God's character, his steadfastness, his faithfulness. And so in reminding God and effectively reminding themselves of these great things um, that God has done for them, for Abraham, for Isaac, for their fathers, hundreds of years earlier, they're reminded that that God, right, that God who split the Red Sea, who made Israel to prosper, who forgave the sins of his people. That's the same God that they're singing to today, right? never changing. He doesn't get weaker as time goes by. His hair doesn't get gray. His muscles don't fade, right? He doesn't get frail. God is always faithful, always proving himself to be faithful. And that's why the Israelites are confident to keep going back to God, right? because he is always faithful. His love is always steadfast. Indeed, nothing has proven this to be more true than Jesus. Right? For in Jesus, God's steadfast love, his faithfulness, his very changelessness was made into flesh. Right? In whom he says in verse 10, faithful love and truth will join together. Righteousness and peace will embrace. Right? This truth that he's talking about, this truth will spring up from the earth and righteousness will look down from heaven. I mean, how amazing is that? And we celebrated this on Christmas, which feels like forever ago. The maker of all things, right? God himself being made, made of the earth. Just imagine God taking on dust. And not just for the fun of it either, not just because he likes dust. No, but for us, right? For our salvation, because he loves us. The ancient of days, right, as an old hymn put it, the ancient of days put to death on a cross. This is the faithfulness of God, right? This is how steadfast God's love for us is. That he was willing to humiliate himself, coming into the world he created, right, then, then being put to death by men and women that he created with his own hands. So that you might have life if you trust in his name. To prove his boundless love for his people. To, see, to secure for us a promise of glory and a promise of eternal joy. Right, the Christian, the follower, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, sings then with this psalmist. Right, the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, which has been proved again and again throughout scripture. But most gloriously has been proved in the fact that while we were sinners, while we were joyless and we didn't love God like he loves us, Christ died for us. How good is that? Friends, we have confidence in God's great love and, in his, and his steadfastness and faithfulness. Right? And resting in that, let us receive the fullness of his joy, the joy that only he can give us. Friends, let me, let me pray for us.
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. That he left his throne in heaven to save his people here on earth. Lord, we pray that while we're here, Father, that your spirit will be with us. Your spirit will be guiding us and strengthening us. That we would find rest in your changelessness. Amidst this changing world, Father, that we would have confidence in your love that is faithful. And in that, Father, we would find true joy in you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.